This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to the Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours of the Breakfast Buffet. And I hope we find you well on this May Bank holiday weekend. The weather, admittedly, is a bit damp and grey out there at the moment. But hey, summer's on the way. This morning on the bottom line, Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce and Industry had its 74th AGM during the week. And the first one in person since 2019. And it elected a new president. We'll be speaking to outgoing president Colin Ahern and new president Brian Keyes. We are living in the midst of a climate emergency. So how are we doing? I'll be talking to Stephen Prendival, Head of Sustainability at EY Ireland, about the results of an important survey into how Irish business is responding to this crisis. Uh, and we'll be meeting Pat Amond, Director of Carlaw Toolmaking Services, a uh, highly specialised local company, providing as the name suggests, tool making services to the medical, pharma, food and automotive industries. But first, before we came on air, I chatted with local accountant and tax specialist Alan Seary of O'Neill Foley Accountants to talk about some of the business issues catching his eye. And as you'll know, an issue that has been a constant source of discussion on this programme over the last few years indeed has been the supply chain disruption. As Alan and I chatted, supply chains came up again. I asked Alan whether it's an issue that has been impacting many of his locally based clients. It has, John. Um, Just by way of example, we've had some clients that are in the distribution business, rather, uh, who sell products, say, into multinationals that they source from companies who manufacture those products abroad. So I suppose on the good news side, a lot of those multinational companies in Ireland are making a lot of orders for those products. But on the, the delay side, um, there are significant delays being experienced by companies actually getting that product into Ireland. And, and that's all to do with the, the proverbial supply chain that we've discussed so many times and that, that it hasn't been solved. No, it hasn't. And it's obviously given rise to delays, but also it's given rise to, I suppose, more strategic rethink by manufacturers. Um, so at the moment a lot of manufacturers have what's called just-in-time manufacturing process whereby they get parts of their process into the factory just in time and they source those from multitude of suppliers distributed well around the world um, that's beginning to show now that it's no longer working and a lot of manufacturers um, are now reshoring their activities or more or they're, they're taking more of the activities on board themselves rather than outsourcing their manufacturing um, so it'll be interesting to see how this evolves over the next few years, that you might actually see maybe more manufacturing taken on, being taken on rather in countries like Western Europe, the US, whereas previously those would have been offshored into maybe Southeast Asian countries. Yeah, and, and opportunities within that. But more immediately, what kind of um, you know pressures is all this putting on business and what are kind of things do, do you know businesses in this area need to be looking out for to make sure that they don't get overexposed in the overextension of the supply line well i suppose one thing that comes to mind is that uh you know getting an order is fantastic but typically you don't get paid until you actually make that order and um, so that might result in companies having to fund their working capital longer you know fund their fund their salaries and so so on uh, longer and um, 
uh, in a lot of cases where products are being purchased from Southeast Asia, that needs to be paid in advance. So there's a, there's a longer con- conversion time then between paying for products from to your supplier and actually getting paid from your customer. So, so literally when your cash flow is there, you could maybe, because of a world event or an unexpected thing, just have an extension of two months in the middle of it. You could, yeah, and that's, that's um, you know, you'd want a reasonably strong balance you'd be able to fund that. Um, so uh, I'm sure a lot of companies that are in that space now have had to um, manage accordingly, but um, uh, for companies who are looking to expand and, and gear up and maybe take on new orders, they just want to be doubly sure that they have the working capital to see, see themselves through a longer period. Yeah, and speaking of working capital, during the uh, pandemic and the acute phases of the pandemic, the debt warehousing was brought in by by revenue. Um, some nearly said sneaky, but some some significant deadlines coming up uh, this Saturday, the bank holiday weekend. There's a very significant deadline. That's today. Tell us about that. Yeah. So what revenue have said is that um, there is about uh, three billion of debt currently on, in debt warehousing. Uh, over the next 10, 12, 15 months, they're going to be contacting customers who are in that scheme with a, with a proposal or looking for engagement on how the debt will be addressed. Um, but the, what they've also said, though, is that if, if your tax returns are not up to date by the end of this month, um, that they may terminate your involvement in that scheme and look for the tax that's due. So uh, I suppose we'd encourage anybody who's maybe, you know, left their last VAT return on the long finger just to get that in by the end of the month. Yeah, which is effectively um, Sunday uh, Correct, yeah. the 31st. So if if people, and, and that might be very useful to people who might have been kicking it down the road and say, oh, look, I'll send it in next Tuesday, yes, but there's yeah, a sting yeah, in the tail. Yeah, but I, I would, you know, um, I certainly wouldn't leave it too long beyond the, too long beyond the 30th. Mm. Um, and obviously if you can get it done over the weekend, all the better. Yeah, but that's a, is that a May... Um, suspend the warehousing and look for the payment or is it a definite? Revenue, to be fair, you know, we'll, we'll, chi- we'll typically engage. So it's, it's um, uh, there's been some pretty significant correspondence uh, and direct correspondence issued to some businesses saying that you need to get your tax returns in. Um, but certainly, you know, the more than any creditor, I suppose, once you see engagement with them, um, they, 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 they'll, uh, they'll probably keep it on side. But, I, you know, you should really encourage businesses to, if there's any returns that, that, are, that, that are there that need to be filed, just get them in. Yeah. Now, um, turning from uh, debt warehousing and revenue in Ireland to a man who probably has all his returns uh, up to date, um, and I'd say who's very meticulous with his paperwork, uh, particularly over the last week, I'm talking about Elon Musk. Quite a week for him, I'm sure he's glad it's a bank holiday weekend. Well, I'm not sure it's a, it's a bank holiday weekend in in the US or in in, in space if he's up there. But um, yes, he, he's uh, he's had his offer for Twitter accepted. Forty five um, billion. Wow. Correct. Yeah. Um, so I, I suppose just from my own point of view, I was interested in how how that acquisition is going to be funded. Yeah, um, it's a lot of money. And, uh, seemingly, he's going to borrow twelve billion himself, as you do, uh, and that will be secured on his own shares in Tesla. Um, the uh, funding banks are going to lend 13 billion to Twitter itself, um, and the other 21 billion is going to come from his own resources. So I think he sold four billion. How many billion did you say? Uh, 21 billion rather is going from to his own from resources. From uh, from his own resources, with and also other investors. So you know, you recall John Rother that he got in hot water a few years ago for fa- for saying funding secured when mm. he wasn't secured. Um, so uh, the last uh, results is uh, released by Twitter 
were interesting in the sense that they show a profit being made, but that profit was only a profit after the sale of one of their businesses. So absent that, they would have made a loss. So, yeah, so I mean, is he looking at a, a scenario where supposedly he's going to have to make back forty-five billion to in out of advertising on Twitter? That's correct. Yeah, and I suppose what would be really interesting to see that given that Twitter's most recent accounts don't really show that significant level of profits if at all relative to the purchase price that's there it'll be really interesting to see what the business case is and the business model is for actually generating that level of uh, repayment and so it's a confidence thing though really I mean he he can tend to be a bit erratic so if he actually made an ungodly mess of Twitter in a quick period of time which isn't um, you know unforeseeable for example the valuation of his it could go all south very quickly well it was interesting that Twitter uh, tried to bring out this poison poison investor uh, defence and then quickly scrapped it and one of the comments I think that was made was that uh, they received no other offer in that ballpark for devaluation so I think you know acting for the existing shareholders they probably felt that that all cash offer for at that level was attractive to their existing shareholders so um, he now has to validate that investment and get a return both for himself and all more particularly for his funders who mm. Doesn't it um, paint an extraordinary picture really of an economy we're here in Carlo Kilkenny where it's profit and loss and you know you have to pay your bills and so on Tesla apparently market capitalisation greater than all other automakers combined and then 45 billion and he's allowed to borrow personally the 20 billion or whatever on the basis of a business that doesn't really show a profit it's it's a very brave word that there, John, sometimes. <laughs> Rarely have I seen you speechless, Alan, but if, if you walked into O'Neill Foley, um, you'd probably be counselling different. But it's a different, when you're operating on that scale, it just seems the normal rules seem to be suspended. Um, well, yes and no. Like, like you, you touched on earlier on, John, that I mean, it's, it's really a confidence uh, valuation. Uh, that's there. I mean, it's a very frothy valuation relative to the, to the earnings that are being achieved. So there's an implicit assumption there that, you know, there'll be significantly, significantly more income generated from advertising and so on. So that's why I was saying that it'd be really interesting to see what the business plan is actually to generate income that would support mm. the repayment of the debt that's being put onto Twitter's balance sheet and obviously the, the, other, the other funders as well. Yeah, so it's easy for me to kind of sit here and pour cold water on it as well and kind of snigger but it, it is true business needs visionaries as well doesn't it in terms it does, of you yeah. know I mean if, if you had people going like look at the valuation I mean Henry Ford wouldn't have got Ford Motor Company going I suppose so it's a mixture of bravery and it is and to be fair to Musk obviously like I mean Tesla is a real company it's just it's, you know it's making something it's no longer and it's made huge strides as well it has yeah yeah interesting uh, speaking of um kind of technology and tomorrow's world and so on something caught your eye about um, an airport with a difference tell us about that yeah um, there's a prototype airport uh, being set up this weekend in Coventry of all places in the UK and what it is is it's an airport in a car park in a city centre location in Coventry and they're showing how uh, a futuristic um drone airport might work so if somebody's developed a prototype where a drone seating four people can bring people to Coventry from Coventry rather to London city centre in half the time roughly that it would take a train to train journey to take to get down there and so the visionaries behind this think that this will be happening for real in 2028 or shortly afterwards 2028 yeah so uh, that'll be interesting to see whether it comes to pass or not yeah and they, they perhaps um 
the uh, location in Kilkenny uh, would be the Abbey Quarter and, and O'Neill Foley moving down there yourselves pretty pretty shortly. Are there any uh, provisions for drones down there yet, Alan? Um, I haven't seen any provisions for drones there, John, but you know, it's a pretty big site down there, so we're very excited to be one of the first uh, occupiers down there. Um, yeah, you'd be in um, uh, the brew house, I believe. Yeah, we, we are. Yeah, yes, I had the yeah. pleasure looking around at it. It's a smashing, a smashing location. Uh, you know, we, we we started off our conversation talking about all the reasons to be, you know, kind of glum and, and how difficult it is. But there is a confidence at the same time for a business like yourselves in in moving to such a, you know, brave and big and bold and modern location. We are. Well, we're going down there very much expansion in mind. Um, you know, so our current headcount is just over 50, and we're hoping to grow that over the next few years to about 80 or so. And we, we just where we are is a fantastic location, but we, we're out of space, and uh, we see the brew house uh, as being very suitable for our needs, but very also very uh, exciting and development, developing part of Kilkenny. And when that whole development is completed, it will probably reorientate uh, the centre of Kilkenny as well so we're very very excited to be part of that journey mm, I was at the AGM of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce during the week and we'll have a report from that later on but John Hurley pointed out you know that when he started eight years ago first of all there was the recession then there was Brexit then there was Covid and now we have war in Ukraine and a fragmentation of the international order but equally um, the point being made that business finds a way to do business so there are reasons to be cheerful and the business community is resilient John, business people are very resilient, um, and I think you have to approach it from the mindset of the glass half full. You know, there's still opportunities out there. There's pe- people who want to do business will do business. People who want to succeed will succeed with endeavourment. Um, and uh, certainly, we're we're very excited. We see we see great potential down there. We see great potential of Fort Kilkenny. Um, we've been around a long time, not me personally, but certainly the firm's been around for 60 years, and. Uh, we're looking to lay the foundation for hopefully a long time yet. Yeah, well, look, Alan, best of luck to you with that, and thanks for joining us in in the studio. And uh, best wishes to everyone on Neil Foley with your big move in the coming weeks. Thanks very much, John. Kilkenny, Carlo, KCLR. KCLR, indeed, you're listening to the bottom line, the program for and about business on KCLR. It's just coming up to 23 minutes after nine o'clock, and we're with you until 10 o'clock on this rather grey and uh, uh, drizzly Saturday morning of the May bank holiday weekend. Now, Carlo Toolmaking Services is a proud local company providing toolmaking services to some of the biggest names in the medical, pharma, food and automotive industries. During the week, I was delighted to have a chance to sit down with Director of Carlo Toolmaking Services, Pat Amond, and learn more about the company. I start by asking him to tell us a bit about the journey he's been on with Carlo Toolmaking Services. Carlo Toolmaking Services started in uh, 1994. Uh, I was a, a toolmaker in Brown, Ireland, and uh, we've seen a, an opening in the market for contract toolmaking. So to the uninitiated like me, just briefly explain what toolmaking is. It's not exactly making screwdrivers and hammers. No, toolmaking can be divided into three or four different areas like uh, injection moulding, jigs and fixtures, press tools or bespoke uh, special purpose machines. And, and it's really only when, when you start to look around you that you realise what a huge part this plays in in everyday life. It's 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 an essential um, component of the way the world is made. I suppose it is everything, especially since uh, plastic became with the injection molding. Probably everything that in your house and everything like that has been manufactured in in from uh, injection molds and uh, the tool. 
maker would be involved in the design and the manufacture of the mould which would produce the plastic part. So it's a very, uh, the the actual physical bit is, you know, quite obvious. You know, people I can see here, you have pictures of machines, but you have to work um, with, you know, widely, I would presume, with, with your clients to understand their needs and design those machines to fit into their production processes. Talk to us a bit about that. It must be quite a, a big undertaking to get to design something like it is. Well, really, we have a kind of a process there that the, the engineer or your client or whatever comes to you and they explain to you what, they're, what, they, what they need or what, they're, what, they're, what their issues are. So what we do is we, we meet up to the, with the client and we discuss their requirements. We then agree a draft design with the client and then we receive a input from the tool makers and for the part that's manufactured. We then go back to the client, and once they're happy, we do the design, and once they're happy, they make adjustments to one and from one, and once they're happy with what we can do, we can either make them a prototype uh, part first, or we just, if they're happy enough with the design, we just go for it and manufacture the parts. But we also, we work a lot with the medical industry. And there's an awful lot of uh, documentation for CE marking and COCs, certificates required so we're able to deliver all of that uh, to the the client and some projects could take 12 months start to finish and in the medical industry some projects could take 3 or 4 years but initially a lot of the projects that Carla Toolmaker would be involved in would be five to six weeks and then the end product would be a lot of them projects all put together. Right, yes, so you're doing kind of different elements. And you're so doing different elements but can start off, we've done, in one case, we've done a, a machine started off as a prototype. Uh, 18 months later, it uh, ended up as a fully uh, working machine. Yeah, and just looking at some of your clients, I mean, you're dealing with very big multinational companies from P&G to Mallinckrodt to Abbott, uh, a lot of those in in kind of uh, the medical area, like you say, but precision and attention to detail and quality must be second to none required from you. How do you develop a company uh, from Carlo um, to, to meet these most stringent of international needs? Well, on our clients, probably... In the medical industry, probably the ten, the ten top companies in the world, we're probably dealing with six or seven of them from the Irish division of that, like the likes of BD, Clearstream, you know, Tyco, Craig Anna, P&G, as you mentioned. And you're dealing with these engineers and an awful lot of our work uh, comes from uh, referrals from, from engineers. And in some cases, we've had engineers that are working in three or four, you have worked in three or four different companies and we've worked with them on that, in that case. Mm. But an awful lot of their work, we don't produce any medical parts. We produce machines for them and, and fixtures to allow them. So there's uh, massive tolerances, you know, uh, very high precision. But that would have came from the apprenticeship training of a toolmaker. Mm. We'll get back to that apprenticeship uh, bit in a minute. But just talk to us about the development of the business. Um, you're well over 20 years on the on the go now. We're 20, 28 years in total. The first two years was part time. Yeah, and how, how did how did you develop that? Because it must have been quite a struggle going from a stand and start to to building up to the state you're in today. It was, but we had uh, the likes of Braun and Carlo helped us at the very 
very beginning you know and we have customers that we've been dealing with from day one and they're still with us and uh, that helps you a lot we would have uh, two or three tool makers we would have trained apprentices as we went along and the business would have built but we're at a stage now there's only 12 of us in the company but it's big enough for what we want. We don't. We're not into mass productions. An awful lot of our parts are one-offs or bespoke, special-purpose parts. Uh, we we can provide uh, quantities of parts to people, and we have a lot of uh, contractors in the Carlow area who actually do mass produce for us if we want to. So we can. We're kind of a a one-stop shop as well for for our our suppliers. Like and a know. fine tradition of um, <coughs> of this type of really specialised engineering in Carlow? There would be from the likes of originally Braun and Apple in Carlow, like in the mid-70s they would have started and like at one stage I, there was 12 or 13 apprentices in Braun and there was probably 30 or 40 apprentice tool makers in Apple. Yeah. And you mentioned a, a word uh, or a phrase a number of times, apprenticeships, um, and uh, what caught my eye over the last couple of months was the, an award you won, which was employee uh, Employer of the Year in the Generation Apprenticeship Awards for 2021. Talk to us a bit about that, why you won it, I suppose, and also about the whole importance of apprenticeships and why people really need to be thinking of this as, as a really important part for the economy, but also as a fantastic career. Well, Solus run awards for companies that are uh, dealing with apprentices and you get nominated and they come out and you're interviewed, they interview the staff, they have a look at the way uh, the, your training system, they have a look at the, they interview the actual apprentice, they interview the staff that do the training and uh, based on all of their findings on that, they have a number of different categories and as you say, we were lucky enough to win it in 2021 but I think it's terribly important for people to... Uh, <coughs> use the apprenticeship uh, model. It's a brilliant model and in fairness the government and Solis have opened it up now to a lot more uh, careers where it used to be the traditional tradesmen and stuff like that. Now they have opened it up to probably 50 or 60, 70 different careers down to accountancy. Every is being based on the apprenticeship. Uh, Ireland probably has got a bit more fixated on university qualifications and other companies like or countries like Germany apprenticeship is a really important thing and we need to look in that direction. It is. There's, there's places, universities like uh, apprentices are they're done over seven phases which still four years but you still spend one year in college. Colleges are a very important part with the apprenticeships. In specific colleges in the tool making end of it it's the college in Sligo but it's a major part but the, one of the biggest um, things were for an apprentice once you're qualified and you have your certificates and everything like that it can be a not that you want to be encouraging it but it, it can be a passport to the world but it's also a pay as you earn from day one you're getting you're getting uh, wages and that is a major help and in a lot of cases as well if an apprentice, a local apprentice, he's able to live at home, so they're not there's not ten or twelve thousand being paid out on accommodation, mm. which is a major a major thing nowadays with 
some colleges where yeah. people have to move away. We were talking last week on the programme about, you know, how globalisation and people aren't looking abroad as much or would like not to look abroad as much to get things made um, and how, you know, it would be great if we could get more manufacturing in Ireland. What do you see as the barriers to that? Like, you're a manufacturing business. What's the what's the what's stopping us getting more manufacturing? In, in our case, in Carlow, when the likes of uh, Braun closed up 12 years ago now like Braun and his height had 1400 people working and they were manufacturing you know the oral care parts uh, that was a big uh, loss to the town and unfortunately has never really been uh, filled uh, MSD have moved in now lately uh, Auto Launch in, in, are in Bagelstown they have filled the gap as well but I think getting people like that in and training people and providing jobs for people that, and even for students for internships and for summer work and everything like that it's a major part and it will help every every town and I think Carlo needs a massive boost in that if we can at all get one um, Your company 28 years on the go how do you see the future Pat um, how would you like to develop uh, Carlo Toolmaking in the coming years we s- I see the future very good for Carlo Toolmaking we have um, we have a young, young staff now as well and we're doing a lot of in-house training we're doing design we're probably divided up into three different divisions now we have a design uh Department, we have a manufacturing department and we have the administration department. And I think they're all, as I said, by doing all that, we can create uh, a one stop shop for a lot of our uh, customers. And I think the service and the quality that their customers are getting from us is going to keep them involved with us. And I can see a good future in Carlo Toolmaking for a long time. It'll probably, it's not going to end up with 50 people, but I don't think it's that type of a company that it needs 50 people. Great to talk to Pat Armand there during the week. Uh, Pat, Director of Carlo Toolmaking Services, a great local company uh, serving the biggest, or six out of the ten biggest companies in uh, pharma in the world, I think he said there. But uh, great to talk to Pat. And if you have any ideas about other companies we should be covering, you can email us at the bottom line at caseylaura96fm.com. Coming up after the break, we're going to be hearing from the 74th AGM of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce and Industry. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie Casey Lauren D, John Purcell with you on the bottom line now. Yeah, 18 years on air next Friday. That's uh, quite amazing. Lots to listen to, celebrate and to win over the next week as we try and mark that. And we'll try and mark it in some way on the bottom line next Saturday morning. But during the week I attended not the 18th, but the 74th AGM of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce and Industry. And the meeting saw the handing over of the presidential chain of office from Colin Ahern to new president of Kilkenny. Chamber Brian Keyes and after the ceremony I spoke to both the outgoing and the incoming presidents uh, outgoing president Colin Ahern was elected in 2020 as the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic was at its height it was perhaps the most extraordinary circumstances that a Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce president had ever taken over in office 
It was. Um, the AGM that year was, de was delayed until June 2020 because of the, the pandemic that we found ourselves in and we, re we really didn't know what to do. Um, and so it has been a very interesting year, and, 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 or two years. And in a time, I suppose, when I was taking over, I, I, I presume, or preparing to take over, I would have presumed that Brexit would have been the number one story and the number one challenge for, for businesses in Kilkenny and in Ireland in general. Um, and, you know, that was certainly shunted to number two without a shadow of a doubt. And, uh, of course, you, you didn't mention, but that AGM was on Zoom, and uh, it, it was a sign of things to come. Today, the first AGM that's been held in person for over two years. Hugely challenging for business. You talk about the resilience, and the, you said during your outgoing speech that business will always find a way to do business. Yeah, Irish people in particular are strong at that, John. And um, you know, a, a lot of the time we we try and come up with solutions. Our government tries and comes up up with solutions when the best thing to do is let business come up with those solutions, and they'll find a way to make it happen. And yet, Zoom and, and online platforms were all very challenging. They also allowed us to attend a lot of things and to attend a lot of meetings that we may not have been able to get to. And so my time as president, um, I, I attended a lot more meetings than I thought I would attend, although I wasn't able to attend them in person. But uh, it, was certainly a, it, it was certainly an important way of us communicating and something that we needed. But now it's great to be standing here today handing over the chain to Brian in person. Um, I, I, I'm delighted to do it. And Brian mentioned, uh, you know, you were you're involved in tourism. That industry was hugely disrupted, uh, and you continued your involvement in in the chamber. And you talked about the, you know, the patience and commitment of your own company in supporting you in that. Why is it important for businesses to be involved in something like the chamber when they have so much on their own plates? Because. Every industry is going to go through challenges. Every industry is going to have bumps in the road. And, you know, the, we, we, we've all had that over the last two years, but the hospitality sector in particular has been, has been devastated. Um, and it's going to take us, you know, it'll be 2025, 2026 before we're back to 2019 levels. Um, and those problems... Uh, all range around in terms of uh, revenue, in terms of staff retention, in terms of you know new customers and getting international visitors back to our country, and so that's our problem now. But it'll be another industry's problem ne next year or the year after, and so it's so important that we all work together and that there's a, a, a good communication, good cooperation between um, uh, uh, between private enterprise, between the local authority, and all other representative associations that are there. Um, during the two years, the threats to business were really. Excellent existential and I suppose large uh, areas of the economy wouldn't have lasted without the support from the government. The, the John Hurley mentioned that the amount of lobbying uh, that the chambers did both locally and nationally. Tell us about that, that what went on over the last two years. Certainly. We, um, as, as part of Chambers Ireland, we have been in meetings with Antishak, Antonishta, with nearly every single TD in the country, never mind the South East, um, and with local politicians and the local authorities, ensuring that the supports that were, that were given by the government, whether it was the EWSS, which was the TWSS before that, um, the, the, the local grants in terms of the, of the commercial rates waiver were sufficient and the supports were there for businesses. Industries like mine simply wouldn't, simply wouldn't have survived. There's 270,000 people employed in, in tourism and hospitality in Ireland, um, and you know, it, it, is, it is a pillar industry in our economy and if those conversations didn't happen and if the supports weren't substantial and correct then businesses like mine and all the others in Kilkenny simply wouldn't have survived. Well uh, Colin it's been a pleasure dealing with you as president and I uh, hope you enjoyed the, the, the free time that will uh, be released now and, and I'll start by uh, wishing all the best to Brian Keyes the Thanks incoming you, Thank you John. Thank you.
large shoes to fill. Uh, you mentioned it in your in your opening address. Absolutely. Colin was an absolutely great president for Chamber in a very, very difficult time. As he said himself, his own industry it was very difficult to stay positive, stay upbeat, stay in, informing members of things. And Colin really, you know, he really stood up. He was steadfast in his support of Chamber and its members. And it's absolutely great. And, and you were saying, like, like, you know, what was so important about Chambers for business here, and I think that what was really important was that no one felt alone here in Chamber, that, you know, a problem shared is kind of a problem halved or solved, and, you know, the weekly, the, the monthly meetings that Colin shared uh, for both board and then for general members and all that, keeping that going, keeping everyone involved and up to date and what was happening and developments in the, in the city and county, like, it was so important, and, you know, maybe it helped take our mind off things, and, you know, it just kind of kept us going a bit and you know hopefully we're the far side of it now like myself you work in the media a, a business area that's engaged in constant change but every business faces huge change john hurley talked about when he took up the role first it was a recession then it was brexit then it was COVID, and now we have war I, I, change is a constant feature and many challenges You'd be foolish to try and predict the future, particularly in the media as well. Like, you know, a 20 year, like the, the, the CEO of Google says 20 years ago they came here and invested 1.5 billion in Ireland. Who would have seen that? And they hope to invest another 1.5 billion. It's the same in Kilkenny. There's industries changing the whole time that are develop apart from the traditional, we'll say, strong tourism and agribusiness that we have here in Kilkenny as well. So there's new financial sector businesses that no one probably could have dreamt of in the 1990s being here. So that's the way business operates. And that's the good thing about it for employers, employees, business, the general community, new ideas, new things coming in. What way do you want to see Kikeni Chamber develop over the next two years as part of your presidency? Um, I don't want to kind of give a kind of a bland uh, answer on that, John, to be honest, because I think the Chamber performs very, very well. Uh, from my time in it, and uh, you've been involved there an awful lot of that time, I, I'm a firm believer in not trying to reinvent the wheel, even though I work in the media and things are changing as well. So, like, I think what the Chamber does is very, very important, as long as we keep our, our lines of communication open, as long as we stay doing the basics well, like any team would do, stay doing the basics well, and responding swiftly and assertively to things for the benefit of business in particular. If you're supporting business you're supporting jobs if you're supporting jobs you're supporting the community and that's that's uh, you know important a lot of talk uh, about the success uh, in supporting local business through the Kilkenny Chamber uh, voucher scheme uh, you have exciting news on that in relation to developing it on our phones yeah there, we're, we're, John has started instigated a meeting with a, a company about an app which will you know, as you know yourself, an app can do a multiple things from membership to online payment. But importantly for us, it's going to open up the vouchers and also look at the medieval mile pass, which has benefited uh, key tourist sites along the medieval mile and, and maybe just off the medieval mile as well. So, you know, th that, that's, Im that's important. Kilkenny sees itself. What I really like about Kilkenny is that, okay, we're, we're probably the best small, little small city in Europe and that we really do think big. And, you know, when our members were talking about this, we were saying, oh, I was in Copenhagen, like three million people in Copenhagen and they had an app when this all started. So we're saying Kilkenny should have an app and that type of attitude is kind of important in Kilkenny and it's why we kind of stand out and Kilkenny is seen as a brand that's, you know, strong and forward thinking and, you know, that's where our app is going to be. So hopefully that will come to fruition, you know, sooner rather than later and be a help and um, we can get more things done with it like membership and newsletters and all that as well. 
So a real sense today of the start of another phase in Kilkenny business history with your appointment, but also the first AGM in person. Colin Ahern, uh, Brian Keyes, thank you very much for all you've done and continue to do for the business community. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. Casey Law indeed, John Purcell with you on the bottom line, the programme for and about business on the station. Now, nobody should need reminding that we're all facing a climate crisis and that urgent action is required of every individual organisation and business, most especially, in the world. So how is Irish business doing? During the week, EY Ireland issued the EY State of Sustainability report, which provides a very interesting snapshot of how Irish business is doing. To discuss the findings, I'm joined on the line by Stephen Prendival of Sustainability at EY Ireland. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Stephen. Sorry, I, I forgot to press the right button. How are you? I'm good, John. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure. Now, um, we've been largely upbeat on the programme this morning, um, but the environment is very important. It's it's critical to the existence of business. It's critical to the existence of the world. Not really uh, feeling a lot of good news in your report. Yeah, and look, you can take you can take a slant at it, and um, it paints a, a pretty nuanced picture. This is the second year of EY Ireland's State of Sustainability report, and you know when we look at the the change that we've experienced, you know, in 2021 there was an awful lot of enthusiasm. Uh, Irish business were reporting a, a degree of confidence about their journey ahead, and this year we're actually seeing that confidence wane. You know, we about uh, only one in every five feel that they're going to make their 2030 goals. And I liken it to, you know, what it must feel like to be one of those uh, mountaineers that want to go on Mount Everest, John, you know, where, you know, they have all this enthusiasm and then, you know, they make it to base camp, which is, uh, you know, a challenge in itself. Mm. And they realize that there's this, there's this mountain ahead now. Yeah, and, and, uh, and they're not a joke, these, they're not arbitrary targets. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I think there was an update issued and, and the window of opportunity to do something to stop irreversible and disastrous change is pretty tight. So that head in the sand me- man- mentality isn't really acceptable. No, that's right. We must climb. We must take on this mountain. And, you know, we have to have some sympathy for Irish business. You know, your first segment this this morning talked about supply chain issues that continue to disrupt. Uh, the survey was done right in the middle of the, the Ukrainian crisis, the inflation crisis, the energy crisis. And, you know, when we talk about Irish business in this sense, it's every every Irish business with over 50 employees. So really indigenous business that, you know, are kind of struggling to get their feet and catch their breath almost from uh, kind of moving from crisis to crisis. And I guess my message would be that actually an awful lot of the things that are challenging us um, can be looked at with a sustainability lens, with a climate action lens, and actually generate positive value. Mm. You know, your segment earlier talked about supply chains and this challenge of supply chain disruption, kind of uh, putting businesses at a loss for a number of months. You know, an awful lot of my clients would have expressed a view during the pandemic, for example, that shipping wasn't uh, reliable uh, for a while there. Mm. And so they were reverting to putting their cargo uh, over road or, or in the air. And of course, that's going to incur more of a carbon footprint, and that's not good for the environment. So there has to be opportunities, I think, for Irish business to work with their lenders, who, of course, are want to, want to extend sustainable finance to business. Uh, but it's incumbent on business, I think, to engage with their, their lenders, with their customers, with their suppliers, and try to work through some of these challenges so that, you know, our knee-jerk reaction isn't to, 
okay, well, we were trying this and this was the best way for the environment, but because of this disruption, now we're going to you know, put everything on air travel all of a sudden and mm. you know, kind of undo the good. Yeah, reading between the lines of your of your uh, very interesting press statement that came out uh, recently, um, there's a need to kind of rebalance the way we're looking at things to towards the opportunities and to take a positive and energetic view towards this rather than, oh, climate change, oh, it's just another thing like debt and taxes. You know, there's opportunities. Customers react well to it. Uh, it can increase efficiency, effectiveness, and even profitability. So there is a, you know, there's all sorts of advantages to it. That, that's right, and about 40% of the companies that are pursuing sustainability will report an improvement in their bottom line. So it's kind of, you know, the, the problem we've got now is we're trying to do it all at the one time. So the, the regulatory environment is is uh, in turmoil. You know, we're coming with lots of different reporting and compliance requirements, which businesses are going to have to meet. There's going to be green labeling laws, and there's going to be requirements to report the carbon footprint of products. And all of that is starting to drive out, oh, well, look, I just need to make sure I comply with this stuff. And that seems to be coming at the expense then of a real view that, you know, the customer can drive uh, the sustainability initiative of an organization or even, you know, that base profit motive. And that's, that might be down to a little bit of education because everything you can do that improves the environmental performance of your business or your product is very likely to have a cost advantage. You know, you're going to reduce the amount of materials or the amount of energy you're using or you're going to attract new customers. And that's all good, you know, it's either top-line improvement or it's bottom-line improvement. Mm, but we really need to wake up and, you know, we really need to emphasize that because reading your statement um, that you released after the uh, results was that the biggest problem is complacency, really, and, and that, you know, only 16% of people who respond are actually concerned. They think they're doing enough, but we're not. Yeah, and and that probably is the, the the one damning indictment at the end of this is that there's an element of well, if I comply, I'm doing enough, and you know, uh, what about little old me? What change can I do? Um, but you know, that that stat that only 16% feel like they're not doing enough, in the face of an IPCC set of reports that have been coming out since August, quite clearly make uh, the case that we're not doing enough. You know, you you prefer to see some level of humbleness come into those stats and a little bit of realization in Irish business that, you know, we are going to be exposed to this. Either global supply chains are going to continue to be disrupted because of climate change events, or we're going to find that our products and our initiatives are not competitive on a global stage where sustainability has taken maybe hold more readily within other within other countries. So simply put, we're not doing enough and uh, business leaders, managers, employees, everybody and stakeholders and suppliers, we all need to start putting each other under pressure when it comes to change in this area. That's right. And, and, and you know, sustainability more than anything else is like an ecosystem challenge. You know, one business making themselves carbon neutral or, you know, let's say, quote unquote, being successful in sustainability, that's no good for the planet. We need everybody to get there. And there is this tension between, you know, taking advantage of your particular product or your particular service or your particular advantages in this space and sharing it with your with your supply chain or sharing it with uh, with other people in your ecosystem. So, mm. you know, there's there is an element of we've got to we've got to find a way of collaborating while also, you know, competing. Absolutely. And, and, well, Stephen, a pleasure joining, uh, talking to you this morning. Thanks for joining us. And we, maybe we talk to you again when you bring out your next report because it's important we track uh, the changes and we have to keep the changes moving in the right direction. 
Thanks for having me, John. Thank you. That's uh, Stephen Prendeville, who's Head of Sustainability at EY Ireland. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email the bottom line at kclaura96fm.com. We released the ninth edition of The Bottom Line newsletter during the week. You can get a copy on our LinkedIn page. Or if you'd like to send us an email, uh, just drop us a line and we'll send you out a copy of that. You can listen back to this show or any episode of The Bottom Line on our podcast by searching The Bottom Line on KCLR on the Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify. Thanks to all our guests this week Alan Siri, Pat Armand, Colin Ahern Brian Keyes and Stephen Prendeville Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show and thanks most of all to you for listening We'll be back next Saturday morning just after the news at 9 Until then, enjoy the bank holiday weekend Don't forget to do your bit for the environment Have a good week, keep safe and keep the faith the Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.